Uh, so back in June, uh, the Harding family moved to a small farm, and uh, it's on the border uh, between uh, Central and Six Miles, so I can always make fun of both and, and seem to be making fun of myself. And, um, and, and you know what I've learned? It, most of this farm is wooded, and what I've learned about the woods, it, there's something I don't like in woods, and here's what it is, um, stumps. <laughs> I, I, I am not a fan of stumps at any point in my life. In fact, if, I've learned some things about stumps in my brief stint as a, as a farmer. Um, if you hit a stump with any kind of tractor, the stump wins. I mean, that, that's one thing I've learned right away. Here's something else I've learned, that you can't trim a stump down with a bush hog or a mower. You kind of have to go around those things. And uh, you, if you try to just say, well, it's just a little stump, it, it, will, it will ruin your day. And so the stump doesn't move. So our farm is a couple of hundred years old, and so it's got this great deal of history. So, so whenever you walk through the woods and you see these stumps, I can't help but think, and I, I know I'm kind of a simple person on this, but I can't help but think, man, wonder what caused that tree to, to die. You know, when I see a stump that, you know, the big old stump and it grew forever, I'm like, I wonder what happened. And because whenever you see a stump, here's something you know, something caused it to happen. You know, it just doesn't just, like, nobody grows a stump, okay? Something caused the stump to happen. And so, and so that's kind of what I'll do. I'll walk around and think, you know, maybe this tree got hit by disease. Or, or maybe a certain tree got hit by lightning. Or, or maybe the bugs moved in and killed, killed a specific tree. Or maybe the woodpeckers tore this tree up. Or maybe somebody didn't know what he was doing, backed into it with a tractor. Or, or maybe, maybe, you know, there was, the tree was just kind of the way of progress. And maybe something was in its way and somebody wanted to run a fence rower. And so they pushed the tree over. Or, or who knows, or maybe the tree just lived its life. And then eventually the wind came and took it down. And all that's left is a stump. So, so here's a couple of observations I have about stumps stumps for you that are stump illiterate. Here's kind of where I am. First of all, listen, there is no value in a stump. There's no value to a stump whatsoever. In fact, most people that have stumps would say, I need to get something to take those out. Here's the other thing. There's little to no hope in a stump. If a stump has been a stump for X number of years, you don't go by the stump one day and all of a sudden, wow, looky there, there's hope in that. A trump is simple. A trump. (laughs) A stump is simply, is simply a memorial that something used to live here. Something used to be alive here, and now it's not. That's what, a stump, that's what a stump is. Now, I have a reason, believe it or not, for kind of engaging you with this stimulating conversation about stumps, and, and I have a reason for bringing that in. It's because a stump is actually mentioned in the Christmas story. <laughs> the Christmas story actually talks about stumps, and it was mentioned, get this, 700 years before Jesus was even born. So there's this stump conversation that's mentioned 700 years before Jesus is even born, and it's related to Christmas. The verse I'm speaking to is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And here's what the verse says. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So immediately, I have two questions. What's a shoot? And who's Jesse? And so I have these sort of questions. Well, here's a shoot. I did some more research. Every so often, a stump will produce new life, kind of like we have spared no expense to create, recreate for you here on the platform this morning. So a, a stump will, will produce new life. This just happens to be a different kind of tree than the stump. But a, a, a stump will produce new life, and a shoot or a sprig of new life will grow out of a stump. And so the shoot means that the stump isn't yet finished. 
There's still something going on. My second question related to who's Jesse is, why was he compared to a stump? You know, was he short? Was he stubborn? Was he boring? Did nobody like him? You know, what happened to poor old Jesse? So last week we started to look at this family tree of Jesus, Jesus' Ancestry.com moment, and it's actually written down in Scripture in a couple of places. It's written in the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, and this is where it starts, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham's the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. Now, often genealogies were kind of used to show the pedigree of someone that was born and the pedigree of that family. And when you start reading this genealogy, that's kind of what we think is happening here with Jesus' pedigree. And you think, man, he's got the Larry Bird, the Magic Johnson, and the Michael Jordan listed right there in his pedigree, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You don't get any bigger than that in 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 the Jewish people. These are Hall of Famers. All of them have their jerseys retired already when it comes to Jewish people. But then this family tree that you think is sort of a a pedigree sort of thing parade, it sort of takes these twists, these strange turns, which we talked about last week. Because Tamar is mentioned there, and Rahab was mentioned there, and then Judah, who acted out in a weird sort of way, is mentioned there. And all of who have a less than spectacular story, but they're all included in Jesus' family tree. Judah and Tamar and Rahab or have all been sort of grafted in, was the word we used last week, into Jesus' family tree. And those all-stars that we talked about, you know, we should probably revisit them as well. Because you remember Abraham, when he went to Egypt because of a famine, and he feared for his life because his wife was so pretty. This is in the Bible. Like, I'm afraid to walk in here. My wife's so pretty, I'm scared to death. And that's kind of what he thought. And so what he told everybody was, well, she's my sister. She's my sister. So the Pharaoh of Egypt sees her and sees she's pretty. He makes Sarah part of his harem. Meanwhile, while all that's taking place, Abraham's just getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. There's one of the rock stars of Jesus' family tree. He doesn't do that just once. He actually does that twice in Scripture. His son Isaac did the exact same thing. Another famine hits the land, so Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, go to Gerar, and there's a Philistine king named Abimelech there. Isaac fears for his life because she's so pretty. I don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, I have to be afraid all the time if that was the problem. You know? But anyway, he fears for his life, and so he says, hey, I'm, I'm afraid for my life. That's my sister right there. That's my sister. Don't forget Jacob. You know what his name means? His name means I deceive you. His name means, I'm going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie. I just did. Okay, I'm, I'm going to lie to you. That's kind of what Jacob's name means. I'm, I'm just a deceiver. And all these people are part of the family tree of Jesus. They're part of the bloodline of Jesus. And the story continues in verse 3. Judah, and, and I'll, I'll help you through this, but Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, which I think is a great guy name. I don't know why we don't use that more. But Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, the prostitute. Shh. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, the stump. Jesse, the stump. And Jesse father of king david 
there's Jesse, the stump guy from Isaiah. 700 years before. And now Jesse is set apart. Get this. Not because of who he is, but because of who his son is. Jesse's son was a name every Jewish person would know. Jesse's son was King David. If Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan have already been mentioned, LeBron has just entered the game because he too is an all-star. But not just because he was a king. David was an all-star for some other reasons. For all that you really need to know about David, just look at the next verse of Jesus' family tree. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, there's a power-packed words. There's a power-packed clause. Something's weird there. Well, the reason it's said this way is because it's sort of a seedy story. In fact, everybody who read this family tree knew the story because it was talked about in coffee houses and other places all the time. And, 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 and so here's kind of what happened. In the spring, kings would go off to war. It was kind of the nat- natural way to do things. In the spring, everybody went and sort of defended their territories. David's getting older, and so he decides he's not going to go to war, and he sends his men to go for him. So in the evening, he's been playing Xbox all day, and in the evening, David goes to like the top of his, of his palace to kind of walk around, get fresh air, and uh, kind of look around. And when he walks around, he looks across at someone else's house, and there on top of this other house is this beautiful woman who is bathing. David calls someone over and says, who is the beautiful woman bathing? And the person says, well, that's, that's Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah, he's a stud. He's an amazing guy in God's kingdom. And he's one of what they call David's mighty men, Uriah is. He, he, he pledged himself to protect the king at all cost. He pledged his life to the king. And, the, and if to become a mighty man, you had to be battle-proven. So he was this confidant of the king, and the king literally trusts the mighty man with his life. This is partly why they think his house was so near the palace, because the palace was surrounded by the mighty man's homes. So David asks who is, and says, well, that's Uriah's wife. And then it ends up being Uriah, who is David's mighty man. So David sees this wife. Well, Uriah is, of course, off at war. So David sends someone over and says, hey, why don't you come to the palace? And, and then the Bathsheba does come to the palace. And while they're in the palace, like there's a special hug that takes place or something that happens between them. And then a few months later, Bathsheba sends a note to the king. Bread in the oven, kind of. I don't know what she said. But, you know, there's, there's something happening, and, I, and I'm, 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 I'm pregnant, and my, my husband's been off at war. We got a problem. So David makes one of the most common mistakes that I think humanity tends to make when we get in trouble. And that is we try to figure out a way to get out of trouble that's worse than actually what got us into trouble to begin with. And so David conjures up this plan, a way to hide everything that he's done. He invites Uriah, his mighty man, home and tells him, hey, why don't you go be with your wife? Come back from the battlefield, go be with your wife and just get some break. I want to hear about the war and then take a break. But Uriah is a mighty man. He's filled with integrity. He is there to be faithful first to the king. So instead of going home, when the king invites him home, Uriah doesn't go home. But Uriah actually sleeps on the, at the entrance to the palace. 
because he's there to protect the king, David, who had slept with his wife. So David's now fearful, and he's frustrated, and he's, 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 he's pained by the integrity of Uriah and the lack of integrity in himself. And so he tries to get Uriah drunk, thinking if he gets drunk, he'll go home and he'll go be with his wife. So he does. He gets Uriah drunk. But Uriah doesn't go home to be with his wife. Instead, Uriah once again sleeps at the entrance to the palace to protect his king. David is frustrated, so he sends a note with Uriah. Uriah carries this note back to the battlefield. And the note is to David's chief commander. And here's what the note says. Put Uriah on the front line where the battle is most fierce. And then pull everybody else back. And so that's exactly what happens. And Uriah is killed in battle. There was this little brief time of mourning. It couldn't be too long because of the condition Bathsheba was in. A little brief time of mourning, and Bathsheba moves into the palace to live as a wife to the king. David is relieved. Whew. Got away with that. Keep in mind, what we're talking about is actually the family tree of Jesus. It's not Hollyweird. This is the family tree of Jesus. It's not Friday night television. God has this prophet. His name's Nathan. And God sends Nathan to David. Nathan says to David, hey, David, I got this story I want to tell you about. And says, there's these two men in town, one rich, one poor. The rich man has a whole lot of sheep and cattle. The poor man only has one lamb. And then Nathan starts laying it on really thick. And this is in the scripture. The lamb grew up with the man's child. He cared for the lamb. The lamb slept in his arms. 2 Samuel 12, if you want to read it for yourself. Nathan says, the lamb was like a daughter to the man. A traveler came through the city, but instead of the rich man preparing a meal from all of his, all kinds of cattle and flocks, he goes and takes the lamb, that precious lamb of that one poor man, and he offers it to the visitor. When David hears this story and thinks that it might have happened in his kingdom, David goes ballistic. Such injustice. And David says, I want blood for this. And he's kicking up the dirt and he's screaming and saying, we're going to wring this guy's neck. And in that moment, I pictured Nathan sort of grabbing the king by the sides of his face and saying, David, you're that man. You're the one. And David in a moment understands everything that had happened and understands that his secret wasn't a secret at all. And David is crushed by his own guilt. David and Bathsheba actually end up having another son. His name was Solomon. Solomon was wise and he was wealthy, but he ended up loving created things more than the creator. The kingdom is ruled for a period of time by David and Solomon and their sons, and after years of reckless and ungodly behavior, the kingdom splits. And now you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so for over 600 years, nobody sits on David's throne. 
throne of David becomes a stump. It's dead. No hope. No vision. Just death. No value. In fact, when you talked about David's throne, it would be, hey, do y'all remember when? And all the people of God had were to cling to the promises that were made yesterday, 700 years ago to some prophet they'd never met. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Well, the stump of Jesse, a shoot, that must be King David. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The shoot's a person. And it's a, it's a man. So the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And that's what the people would talk about. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament is about 400 years of history, and the Bible is silent during that entire time. We know that the people of God felt forgotten because all they had was a stump from King David's rule. It was a difficult period. They felt, to be honest, that God had left the building. He'd left, left the people and left the family. And all that was left was a symbol of death. On, t- on top of God's silence, Rome moved in during this time. And Rome taxed them greatly and persecuted the ones who didn't get in line. And the people of God are ruled by this tyranny of fear and God's people are lost and hopeless, and they feel God has left them. So let's review just a moment. Jesus' family tree is filled with deceivers, murderers, prostitutes, and inappropriate relationships. You know what else his family tree is filled with? Barrenness. The majority of women in Jesus' family tree didn't think they could have have children, And yet, God uses each and every one of them and then calls them family. I wonder if I would let my children play with David's children. And yet, God calls them family. I wonder if I'd talk about you if I saw you out to eat with David. I would. Wouldn't you talk about me if I was having dinner with Rahab? You ever felt like you were in that 400-year stretch of God silence? You ever felt lost and hopeless and forgotten, abandoned? Because I felt like that before. In fact, I felt like that a lot. Let me ask you a question, and I hope you'll answer it. I hope you'll engage with me just for this moment. But here's the question I want you to think about. What, what are you wanting God to do for you? What area of your life are you saying, God, I need you to show up? Because all I have is a stump here. What is it? What's the stump of your life that you think, man, that area is dead. There's no life. It's never going to be restored. 
There's no value to it. It's nothing but pain and hurt. No hope, no vision. Because there are several parts of Jesus' family tree that I can resonate with, and maybe we can all sort of resonate with. As I mentioned, for some of us in the room, some of the folks that will worship at Alive, it's infertility. You know, Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and several others just by marriage would, would, would had battles with infertility. And if you know anyone who's gone through that, that is a kind of this moment of incredible emotional tension. And Christmas is actually kind of tough on folks that are going through that. For others, maybe it's a broken family. Because you get Judah's sons. Their, their family became so broken, they tried to, you know, that, that, they were the tribes of Israel that ended up warring with each other. They're not the first or the last family that will war with each other. For some, it's what you did when you were in a desperate situation, and you carry that around with you all the time. Every time a pastor or someone like me says something like that, you go right to that thought, the thing you did when you were desperate. You could see no other choices, and so now you have regrets. Regrets like Rahab, the prostitute, and Tamar. And yet for others, it's actually the crushing weight of our own sin. Like King David. We know what we did. You know what kind of struck me this week? You know what sets David apart for me in this whole story? It's where he ran. See, most of the time when we get stuck in the crushing weight of our own sin, we think, man, we've really blown it. We tend to run away from God. But David, he actually turned and ran toward God. Sin caused David to run toward God. This is what he said in Psalm 51. You can read it for yourself, but... He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, my wrongdoing, my sin. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For some of us in the room, the place that we think is dead is that decision that we made back then. And if anybody ever finds out, Others, it's unbelief. Maybe your unbelief or maybe someone you love. Shame and guilt. How about this? Purposelessness. Some folks think we're just kind of biding our time. We wake up in the morning, we suck air for 15 hours or so, we try to sleep at night, we get up the next morning and do the same thing. No purpose, no direction. Well, Christmas is a story of God choosing to do unexpected things in unexpected places in, with unexpected people at unexpected times. That's what Christmas is. So maybe God is getting ready to do something unexpected for you. Maybe God is getting ready to do something you thought was dead and going to produce new life in it. Maybe he's getting ready to do that. Because through this incredibly broken, dysfunctional family, God provides a shoot, this little glimmer of hope, of life, a person, a boy, who will ultimately bring redemption to the world. And as a result of that, there'll be a whole group of folks gathered under the alive community who will also have hope. 
because of what grew out of the stump. Isaiah 9 says it this way. We hear it all the time this time of year. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. I wonder how God's people felt during the stump years. When it appeared God had lost track of them. In fact, that's probably not true. I know how God's people felt during the stump years when they thought God had lost track of them. I wonder if they felt like I can feel sometimes, and maybe you can that God had stopped working on the stump. He'd stopped working on a loved one, stopped working on a concern, a worry. I wonder if they felt that. One of my favorite Christmas carols, and and I I was kind of a little depressed when I started thinking about this because so many of the Christmas carols I tend to like tend to be kind of heavy in in their melodies and their words, but this one was written by Charles Wesley, and this is what it says. Come thou long expected Jesus. You see, there's a group of people, a whole country, a whole massive group of people who were expecting the shoot of Jesse to come. But for dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of years, all they got was a stump. Come thou long expected Jesus. Jesus. Born to set thy people free, from our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Are you, are you, are you looking for rest? Maybe in an area where the stump is all you have? Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. I'm thankful that I get to be on this side of Jesus' family tree. But I resonate with people that were in the middle of it. Does that make sense to you? Rest in Jesus. See, Christmas is our reminder. Sinful kings and barren wombs and lustful passions and a stable and a forgotten city of a forgotten people. God brings a Savior for the world. Life out of a stump. Because that's what God does. And that place in your life that you thought and you think is dead Don't count God out yet. He brings life from dead places.
See, Christmas isn't a promise that life's going to be easy. If I tried to sell you that, you shouldn't buy it. Christmas isn't a promise that you're never going to make mistakes because the truth be told, there's nobody you're sharing your space with right now that can say that's true. Christmas is not a promise that everybody's always going to love you. Christmas isn't a promise that the addiction won't win sometimes. Christmas isn't a prob- isn't the, is not a promise that the family's going to get back together. It's not a promise that cancer's going to get cured. It's not a promise that the finances are going to get better. But Christmas is a promise. Death does not have the final say. God is never finished. Christmas is a promise you are not forgotten. Christmas is a promise you did not sin too big. Christmas is a promise that grace is more than enough. Christmas is a promise that God is with you even when it feels like everything around you is a stump. Christmas reminds us that Jesus came because none of us were okay. Matthew quotes from Isaiah chapter 7 once again at the end of the genealogy of Jesus, his family tree. Matthew chapter 1, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I guess that's kind of like one of my other top five Christmas songs I love to sing this time of year. But have you ever paid attention to the words used in that song? Because there are some strong words. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And we all, I guess, come, come. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Take the eyes and turn them inside. Ransom. You don't have to pay the price for your sin. Stop trying to. The ransom's been paid. Jesus did that for you. Captive. Some of us feel bondage in a relationship. Bondage in a certain behavior pattern, an addiction, a way of thinking, people-pleasing or performance issues. We have this idea of being captive. Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, to pay the price for those of us who were captive. Mourns. It occurs to me that some of us in the body are actually going to be mourning because this will be the first Christmas that we're without someone we love. But it's more than that. Some of us are mourning because of loss this previous year and a relationship that's severed or experiences we we lost or something that happened that we are grieving. Exile. Being put out where you don't belong. Families do that to each other sometimes, don't they? But then, the reason we continue to sing this song, because then once we kind of get through those heavy words, the chorus of hope comes in the midst of what we thought was dead 
useless and hopeless kind of stump. A shoot springs up. God is with us. And so a command is given to captive, mournful, exiled people. And the command is this. Rejoice. Rejoice. God is with you. God will come to you. Oh, people of God, rejoice. So whatever's dead, whatever's stump-like in your life, don't give up. Rejoice. God's with you. Lord, thank you for these incredible folks. Thank you for the high honor of sharing with them this morning. Uh, The word you placed in my heart, Lord, I am so thankful for the hope of Christmas. Lord, the more I study your family tree, the more it is apparent that there were no Hall of Famers. If anything, we were all Hall of Shamers. (laughs) But you rescued us. You took us from a very broken, dried up, and dead place, and you gave us new life. And Lord, all across the Alive community this morning, there are people praying that you would bring new life to certain areas that they thought were dead. I pray that for families that are broken, families that are at odds with each other, things that were said that should have never been said. I pray that a connection would be formed and you would bring new life. I pray that for kids that aren't talking to their parents because the kids are living a different kind of set of values and that brokenness is severing the family. I pray you would bring new life through that. I pray for some of my friends in the room and friends that are in the live community this morning that are dominated by fear in their lives and hearts right now. They're just afraid for whatever it might be, but fear, fear of failure, fear of success, or fear of uh, some nonsensical, something sensical, that just fear is dominating. Lord, I pray you would come and bring light to that. You would bring new life. I pray for marriages, Lord, that are struggling. They're in battle right now, and it feels like they're headed to the world of stumps as well. I pray you would come be with us. You would bring new life to that. I pray for my friends in the room that are having doubt in their beliefs. Uh, They're questioning different ideas and different thoughts. And I pray, Father, you would help them guide through those doubts and you would bring new life. I pray for my friends that have been dead in their soul and they know it this morning. Their spiritual life is a stump. I pray, oh God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of God with us, you would bring new life to barren souls. We love you, Lord. You're the reason we celebrate in your name. Amen.